You guys are singing like you believe that's true. Isn't that a wonderful truth that we've sung about this morning? I've missed that. Um, family and I have been gone the last three weeks, and it's just a, well, I've been gone two weeks, you, three weeks. You guys were gone two weeks, but we had uh, two weeks. We were gone for family vacation, and there was another Sunday I was preaching at another church, but I missed this church. This is home. This is family. It's a joy to be with you. And even if Carrie already stole my sermon by having us sing all of those songs, I'm excited to uh, jump back into God's Word. Um, you can't wear the gospel out. It deserves fresh consideration. It deserves a renewal of faith. And it's something that calls for worship. And I'm eager to continue rehearsing those same truths with you as we open God's Word to Luke chapter 5. So please open up to Luke chapter 5 this morning. We talk often in this church about how uh, Christianity is really framed by a story. There's this grand story that is, that is unfolding throughout history of God's creation of a good world and the fall of man and then God's plan of redemption to, to rescue and redeem sinners through sending his son and his ultimate plan to renew all things, raise believers from the dead where we will dwell with him in a new heavens and a new earth that story is what frames Christianity, and we find our place in that story. We also speak often at this church about how there's not just a story that frames Christianity, there's also doctrinal foundations. There are propositional truths that we believe, that we must embrace, that we stand on, that define what it means to be a Christian. But although Christianity is framed by this story, and although we do stand on these doctrinal declarations, and we, we celebrate that, at its essence, at the center of it all, is a person. Christianity, at its essence, is about a relationship with the God-man, with Jesus Christ. To be a Christian means knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is life. Knowing Jesus is salvation. Knowing Jesus is joy. So the million dollar question is, what is Jesus like? What is the nature of his heart? What is the measure of his power? What is the purpose of his coming? What is it that he accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection? That's the million dollar question. And in the gospels, we are given this dynamic picture that answers those questions, that reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we observe his ministry, as we sit under his teaching, as we come to know more and more who Jesus is, what he is like, what it is that he came to do, that experience of beholding Christ strengthens our faith. It deepens our love for him. It establishes us and it instructs us. And so I'm excited to jump back into the gospel of Luke and consider Christ and seek to know who is he, what is he like, what did he come to do. In Luke chapter five, we find this brief story in verses 12 through 16 about Jesus' encounter with a man who is diseased. It's a scene that's filled with tension. It's a, a scene that as we study it, we'll see it really has a lot of shocking turns of events in it. And, and this little short scene from the life and ministry of Jesus reveals to us something important about his heart, and it powerfully illustrates his mission. I'd like to read our text this morning, and then we'll pray together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. 
While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Father, as we open your word, we ask for one thing. You would help us to behold Jesus as he really is, and that that sight of Jesus Christ would humble us, encourage us, strengthen our faith, that it would move us to trust not in ourselves, but in his mercy. I ask for your help to explain it clearly, and I pray that your spirit would cause the hearts of all who hear today, that your spirit would cause them to receive and respond to your truth. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So this story, one that's probably familiar to many of you, is very obviously about a physical need that one man had. You might say, that's fine. I don't have leprosy today, so I don't see what this has to do with me. But this diseased man is really a picture of all of us. Just saying that at the outset, that all of us can relate to this man because all of us are infected with sin. We are all corrupted. We are stained. But this story holds good news for us, that Jesus is both able and willing to cleanse. There's three principles I want to just draw out from this story, and then I'll have a few uh, implications for you. Uh, The first very simple uh, principle we find in verse 12, and it's that only the desperate come to Jesus for cleansing. Only the desperate will come. Look in verse 12. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You have to understand that for people in Jesus' day, and even for the people in the first century who would have read this story, this account of Jesus, this would have been somewhat shocking. It was very surprising that a man with leprosy would approach and come up to Jesus like this. Uh, Leprosy is sort of a catch-all term that describes a whole collection of of diseases, Um, several ancient skin disorders. You might be familiar with uh, Hansen's disease today. That would be one of the the worst types of leprosy, but it included everything from ringworm and psoriasis to these very serious um, uh, necrotic-type diseases where the flesh is rotting away. And the worst forms of this, leprosy, caused extensive nerve damage Um, It would often result in uh, the loss of fingers and toes. It it would result in the loss of the cartilage in the nose and the ears. The skin would often swell and grow scaly. There was ulcers and boils. The the flesh was rotting. And such diseases often left a, a person, as you can imagine, disfigured and mutilated. Their vocal cords uh, were often affected, giving their voice a raspy quality. They looked and they smelled and they sounded repulsive. We look in the Old Testament and find that when God judged Miriam, who was Moses' sister, because she decided she wanted to be in charge, 
God judged her by giving her a case of leprosy. Numbers chapter 12, verse 12, describes Miriam as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away. The leprous were like the walking dead. It was a slow and ugly way to die. And leprosy not only made a person unwell, yes, there's a a physical aspect to this, but it also made them unclean. It made them unclean. Listen to Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. It gives instructions to try to control the contagion of leprosy in Israel. Moses writes in the law that the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So yes, leprosy was a slow and painful physical death. But leprosy also meant instant social death. It meant the instant loss of your place in the community and your relationships with people. To be unclean according to the Jewish law meant separation, alienation, that you were to be outside the camp, that you were to keep a safe distance and identify yourself to anyone who came near that you are unclean. You see, anyone who came in contact with something unclean They would also become ceremonially unclean. They would not be allowed to come and offer sacrifice at the tabernacle. They would not be allowed to participate in the communal feasts where families would celebrate together their relationship with God. To be unclean meant you were separated. Leviticus 5 gives us all these instructions about how one can become contaminated and become ceremonially unclean, which then meant separation. For the lepers... They lost their relationship with their family. They were expelled from the community and they were barred from the religious assembly. I think we all experienced some, some very small glimmer of this in 2020, to one degree or another. We got a little bit of a taste of this reality. You got a taste of what it's like when a society is gripped by fear of contagion, especially early on when people weren't sure what this was. When you heard someone had COVID, no one wanted to be near them. And if you had COVID, you know what it feels like for everyone to see you as a threat and to want to stay away. Some of us experienced isolation, quarantine, and it was only a few weeks. Now imagine something like that being permanent. Imagine the emotional toll of lifelong separation from society. Imagine the toll of separation, not being able to see family and friends. Imagine being seen as a threat. Their suffering was physical, but it was more than that. There's a deep emotional, psychological suffering that lepers in that day would have experienced. In fact, the fate of lepers was so awful that many people saw that if someone had leprosy, it must be because God is mad at them. It must be some sort of divine curse. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are several times where it was just that. We mentioned Miriam's revolt, which led to a brief case of leprosy, although God graciously healed her in Numbers chapter 12. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha's servant Gehazi lies out of greed and he's cursed with leprosy. The king Uzziah in Israel 
grew proud, he presumed to offer incense in the temple like a priest when that wasn't his job description. And so God struck him with leprosy. We see that in 2 Chronicles 26. The Israelites knew that this was a big deal. So to have leprosy was to be seen as unwell. It was to be seen as unclean. And many times people had a hunch that you were probably cursed by God as well. And so as such, this condition of leprosy becomes really the perfect metaphor for sin. Because sin is all of those things, isn't it? Sin separates us from God, and it often separates us from others. Sin is a corruption that leads to eternal death. Sin is something that makes us unclean and defiled, unfit to come into the presence of God and offer him acceptable worship. It's a powerful metaphor for the sinful condition. And this man, this man that the text says is full of leprosy, had lived this experience He'd lost it all. He'd lost his family, his job, his home, his place in society, his access to the temple. And Luke, the physician, tells us that this man's case was severe. He is covered with leprosy, full of leprosy. So when you think about this man's condition, no wonder that he is desperate enough to surprise everyone by approaching Jesus. He's breaking protocol. He's breaking custom. He's even in danger of breaking the law when he walks into town and falls at the feet of Jesus. You see, people with leprosy were forbidden to be near healthy people. They were to live outside the city, keep 50 paces away, cry out, unclean, unclean. But this man reached that point of desperation to throw all of that off, and he risked it to come to Jesus. That is desperation. And it's important that we notice what he asks Jesus for. He doesn't ask Jesus to be healed. He asks him specifically to be cleansed. Verse 12, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Three times the word clean or cleansed is used in this passage. And it really encapsulates everything that this man is asking for. He's asking for the corruption and the defilement of his flesh to be purged away. But he's asking for more than that. He knows that the physical healing is the only way that he can be pronounced clean and restored and allowed back into society, allowed access to the temple for worship. This man desires to be clean. So he comes and he begs Jesus for help, kneeling before him. But he frames this request with a qualifier. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Why does he say that? What is it that he means by this question? If you will, you can make me clean. Well, I think this man obviously believes in Jesus' power, doesn't he? He believes that Jesus is able. I mean, he believes that enough to come and ask but he's aware that Jesus is not obligated to cleanse him. There's no presumption here. There's no entitlement. He's not approaching Jesus as if it's his job and he must heal him. So he's confident Jesus can, but he's actually not sure if Jesus wants to. Would Jesus desire to heal someone like him? Would Jesus look on him and have compassion on his condition? He's desperate enough to come and ask, to come and see. Only the desperate will come to Jesus for cleansing. 
There's a second principle, though, we find in verse 13. It's very obvious. Jesus has compassion on those who need cleansing. It's good news. We find this in verse 13, that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So it's somewhat shocking that this man would come and approach Jesus, that a leprous man would come and address him. But something even more surprising than that happens here. It says that Jesus' response is first and foremost to reach out and touch him. Jesus touched him. The leper said, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus shows him just how willing he is by reaching out and personally touching this man. Think about that. No one in that day would have dreamed of touching a leper. No one wanted to risk contracting the disease, and no one wanted to become ceremonially unclean, especially if you were a priest or a rabbi. If you, like Jesus, were going into the synagogues all the time to teach, catching leprosy would have really hindered your job. On top of all of that, on top of the law of Moses, when we study history, we learn that additional customs had somewhat accumulated over the years. There's one rabbi who famously claimed that he would not eat an egg that was purchased on a street where a leper had walked. Contrast that rabbi to this rabbi. Jesus reaches out and touches him. There was another rabbi who boasted that he would throw stones at lepers in order to keep them far away. Very different than what we find Jesus doing. In that day and age, if a leper touched an animal, the animal had to be killed. If a leper entered a house, that house and all its contents had to be burned. And here Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. This is intended to be shocking. It would have been to them today, and I want us to see it. It had been likely years since this man had even had a face-to-face encounter with a non-leper. Sometimes these lepers would group up and live in little leper colonies outside of town. But you have to wonder, when was the last time this man was given attention by someone who was clean, let alone touched? This leper was desperate enough to break law and custom to come to Jesus. And rather than recoil, Jesus reaches out to touch him. He shows him compassion instead of contempt. He shows him favor instead of fearing him. He shows him kindness instead of disgust. And he he reaches out, he touches him, and he says these words, I will, or I am willing. And then he gives this declaration, be clean, be clean. Although this man does appear to have a measure of humility, you know, he's not being presumptuous, coming to Jesus, and although he appears to have a measure of faith, he believes Jesus can, and he has a sense of respect for God's divine will. It's not because of these things that Jesus reaches out and touches him and speaks these words to him and heals him. I want us to see that what moved Jesus to perform this miracle is not necessarily something that's in this man. You see, Jesus healed all kinds of people. He delivered many people from demons who did not have faith, who did not recognize him as Lord, who actually had no interest in his message. He healed lots of people that didn't end up following him simply to show his divine power, to authenticate his message. He fed crowds of thousands even though they were just there to get a free meal. 
You see, what moved Jesus to perform this miracle was not this man's attitude. It was not his approach. What prompted Jesus to do this was not something in the man. It was something that was in Jesus. It was his compassion. That's what moved Jesus to heal. What we are really seeing here is the heart of Jesus Christ. This is what he is like. He has compassion on those who are in need of cleansing. In, uh, in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus was moved with pity. Pity. It's not just a rational acknowledgement that, you know what? This man is hurting. He has a disease. I have the power. If I do the math, this makes sense and it's logical. It wasn't some argument that the man brought to convince Jesus. Jesus gazes upon him and he feels his hurt. He mourns over his his broken condition. Jesus sees the ravages that living in a sin-cursed world has done to this man's body. Jesus looks upon the man at his feet and is grieved by the knowledge that this is not the way that things are supposed to be. And he has compassion upon him. He says, I am willing, be clean. And Luke records for us that immediately, verse 13, immediately the leprosy left him. This again is another one of those shocking turns of events. Lepers didn't come talk to clean people. Clean people didn't touch lepers. And if they did, the transmission was a one-way highway. Usually when an unclean and a clean person or object came into contact, it is the defilement that is transmitted. It's the clean thing that becomes unclean. But when Jesus touches the leper, the exact opposite happens. The one who is unclean becomes clean. It is purity, it is holiness, it is health that is transferred. This is like water running uphill. This isn't what usually happens. It's truly a miracle, and it is evidence of the power of Jesus, that he is truly, as we've seen in Luke's gospel, the Holy One of God. And when Jesus touches the unclean, it becomes clean. In the heart of Jesus Christ is not only compassion, but in his person there is a potent holiness. There is a purifying power in our Savior Jesus. We see this in the healing. It happens instantly, immediately. The leprosy, though it covered this man from head to toe, the leprosy left him. The eyebrows and lashes that had long since fallen out are restored. The organs and the nerves and even the bone marrow that, that had been damaged was made whole. You know, we have medications today that can help and alleviate different diseases that would have been considered leprosy in that day, but those medications take time. And we can't restore wholeness and health. If something's been lost, it's been lost. But Jesus can do that, and he can do it with a word. It's a supernatural miracle that the man who, who once had lived a life where he was required to cry out, unclean, unclean, now because of what Jesus has done, he can stand up in the assembly, in the temple before the priest and say, I'm clean, I'm clean. This man had been unsure if Jesus was willing, but now there is no doubt. Jesus has compassion on those who need cleansing. There's a third principle And this one doesn't lie as much on the surface as the first two. I think it's pretty easy to see in verse 12 that, yes, 
It's only the desperate people that will come to Jesus for cleansing. It's easy to see in verse 13 that yes, Jesus does have compassion on those who need cleansing. There's a third principle in verses 14 through 16, that Jesus provides this cleansing at a personal cost. Jesus provides cleansing at a personal cost. From the beginning to the end of this story, it's not just the leprous man's situation that changes. Jesus' situation changes as well. We see in verse 14, he charges him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Jesus commands this man to to go do that and to keep this event to himself, but to go tell the priest first. Likely, this priest that the man was supposed to go to would have been someone who years before had officially, legally declared him unclean. In, in the, the law of Moses, in the book of Leviticus, when someone suspects there's a case of leprosy, it's the priest who diagnoses and makes the, the formal ruling that they are unclean. And so the process for uh, healing, if there's recovery, they're supposed to go back and the priest needs to examine the condition once again and rule that he is now clean. There's all these instructions in Leviticus chapter 14. Included in this would have been sacrifices that were supposed to be offered so that someone could be formally pronounced clean. And while Jesus had sort of ignored customs and defied expectations by touching a leper, Jesus wasn't throwing out the law of Moses. He says, I want you to do exactly what Moses said. Go back to the priest, make the sacrifices, follow that procedure. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, as it tells us in Matthew 5. So being pronounced clean by the priest would have allowed this man to return home, to be restored to his family, to re-enter the community, and have access to the temple once again. So Jesus gives him this instructions. That makes sense. But why did Jesus not want this man to tell anybody? Why did he say, why did he charge him, tell no one? Well, I think it's helpful if we remember what's already happened in the Gospel of Luke. Remember that back in Capernaum, when Jesus' fame began to grow, he actually had to leave. Look back in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 42, after Jesus has healed many people, it says, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. See, Jesus has already experienced what happens when the word about healing gets out. He knew that miracle-hungry crowds could potentially hinder his mission of preaching. He knew that the wrong kind of attention from people looking for the wrong kind of Messiah could actually get in the way. And Jesus didn't want to be seen merely as a miracle worker. He had a message. He had a gospel to preach. He wasn't there just to perform for crowds. He was there to declare the good news that God was providing salvation for everyone through him. So Jesus gives this man a serious charge and sends him on his way. And while this man appears to have some measure of faith in Jesus and power, uh, some measure of faith in his power at first, he doesn't follow instructions. He doesn't obey this command. He's not sensitive to the message and the mission of Christ. Word gets out. 
Mark tells us that this man himself was spreading the story. But the problem is people weren't getting the whole message about Jesus. They were hearing that he has power to to heal. But the explanation of the miracle, the symbolism that this miracle was intended to portray, that part was getting lost in translation. Jesus' mission was not to come and heal everyone of their physical diseases. But it's easy to see how people could maybe get the wrong idea. They could overlook the spiritual aspect of the gospel message he was proclaiming. People might just get excited about the healing. In fact, there's people today whose main message is, if you come to Jesus, he can heal you. He can fix your marriage. He can bless your business. You'll make lots of money. You'll be successful. And your fantasy football team will score 42 points today. You know, there's this idea of a prosperity gospel that if you just come to Jesus and believe enough, he'll give you all the things you want. Well, is that true? Well, Jesus can do those things, but that's not his purpose. That's not his mission. And God is not pleased when we treat him like some cosmic genie, like he's some sort of divine butler who's just waiting to give us all the things that we want. Jesus didn't want to have that kind of reputation then, and he doesn't want to be represented that way now either. The message of the gospel, the the mission of bringing redemption to sinners, that was Jesus' first priority, and it's supposed to be ours as well. And that's why he told this man, don't tell anyone, just go to the priest, get declared clean, re-enter society. That's not what happened. It says in verse 15, but now even more the report about him went around, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So here's the result of all of these turns of event. Notice what happens. This man who had once been prohibited from entering the cities, prohibited from entering town, now this man who was unclean is mingling with everyone who's clean. He's now back in the city, moving freely about. And Jesus, who prior to this had been freely moving from town to town, is now forced to stay out in the wilderness. Jesus is in the desolate places. These guys had just traded places. That's what has happened. Jesus showed compassion. He touched him. He healed him. He made him clean, but it cost Jesus something. There's been an exchange. Jesus had healed this man who was an outsider, which improved his situation but it made things harder for him. And this is symbolic of what Jesus ultimately came to do. Jesus came to cleanse us. But in order to do that, there's a great cost. And it requires that Jesus trade places. Jesus has to trade places with those who are alienated from God and those who need cleansing. When Jesus died on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem, very fitting, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason that Jesus felt forsaken by God in that moment is because Jesus had traded places with us. He had taken our defilement, our sin upon himself, which means he was experiencing the wrath of God, rejection, alienation. 
But because Jesus did that, we trade places with him. We can experience God's acceptance, his love, his approval. We're declared holy and righteous because there's been this exchange. It's the ultimate exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it this way. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful and sobering exchange. And the question is why? Why would Christ Jesus, the Holy One of God, suffer such a great cost? Why would he trade places with you or with me or with any sinner? In this text, we see a glimpse of the answer. Part of the explanation is this. He has compassion upon us. He is willing. He knows the cost. Jesus wasn't surprised by this turn of events. He knew this is what would happen. He calculated that. But he had compassion on this man and said, I am willing. Be clean. The simple point of this whole story, if we're to boil it down, is that Jesus has compassion on the unclean who look to him for cleansing. He has compassion on those who are unclean, defiled by sin, who look to him in faith, who come to him in repentance, who come and ask for cleansing. Jesus has compassion on people like that. So how do we respond to this truth? How do we respond? Two very simple implications. First and foremost, receive his compassion. Come to Jesus for cleansing. That's what you must do. You see, this leper is not the only one who needed to be cleansed. Like we mentioned, leprosy is this living picture of sin. And we are all spiritual lepers apart from Christ. Disfigured, corrupted, ugly, repulsive in the sight of God alienated from him. We are hopeless. We are helpless. We are dying. God's word tells us this in Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That is our spiritual condition apart from Christ. We need cleansing. Not only does God's word tell us this, your own conscience tells you this. We feel dirty, don't we, when we sin? Listen, you feel dirty because you are dirty. We often just want to alleviate those feelings, feelings of shame, feelings of guilt, feelings of regret, feelings of unworthiness, and we try all sorts of things to fix that. We blame other people. We justify our own sin and make excuses we, we blame our upbringing. We say, well, this is just the way God made me. We blame God. We try to resolve these feelings of shame, this sensitivity to, to the pain of conviction. But that's actually healthy to feel that pain. You know, one of the dangerous parts about leprosy is you lose the feeling. They didn't, their nerve, nerves were so damaged that they couldn't feel pain which is why they would often have wounds that they wouldn't realize about, that it wouldn't heal right. Touch a hot stove and be leaning on it and not know. That's part of the destruction of leprosy is this numbness to pain. 
we want to numb ourselves to the pain of sin, that's even more unhealthy than we already are. That's not the solution. Listen, the problem is sin. We need to get to the source of those feelings of unworthiness and guilt and shame. Yes, you feel bad, but that's not actually the problem. The problem is that you are bad. You feel bad because you are bad. And listen, the gospel is not just a band-aid for low self-esteem. Jesus isn't coming just to pat you on the back and say, it's okay, I like you anyway, and you're not as bad as some of the other people. No, Jesus comes to radically deal with the problem, the actual indwelling sin that is in our hearts. The gospel is the radical good news about the sacrifice of Jesus, which is not just meant to be some sort of affirmation of you. The death of Jesus Christ is a radical act of grace that is meant to powerfully transform you, to change you, to deal with the corruption. What we need is not to believe in ourselves or to forgive ourselves or to be affirmed or to be understood. What we need is cleansing. And Jesus does that. Have you come to him for that cleansing? The Apostle Paul understood this. That's why he cried out in Romans, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He recognized the problem was him. The answer to that desperate plea is that God will rescue you from this body of death through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came. He came to to provide cleansing for those who are spiritually defiled, those who are spiritually diseased. So you have to ask yourself, have you reached this point of desperation where you feel your spiritual need? Are you living in denial? Listen, those who come to Jesus for cleansing are those who are desperate, those who have seen how serious their sinful condition is. And when you see how serious it is, you recognize the only one who can cleanse you is Christ. Have you come to see Jesus as the only one who can save you? Don't think that you can do it yourself. Don't think that there's another way because there's not. You can't cure the disease, and there's no treatment for the sinful soul outside of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As Carrie read earlier from 1 John chapter 1, it's the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us. Listen, this is a call to faith. Sinner, believe that he is able and believe that he is willing. There's no sin that is too gross. There is no offense that is so great that Jesus cannot or will not cleanse it. So don't try to hide it. Don't try to mask it, thinking if you just wear enough layers and enough masks and enough makeup that no one will see the leprosy you carry. It's not the solution. Don't blame others. Try to absolve yourself. That's not the solution. Don't try to atone for your own sins by saying, I'm going to do better tomorrow and I'm going to sort of outweigh my bad deeds with my good deeds. That's not the solution. The solution is to cry out like David did in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. That's the prayer. That's the way. That's how you fall on your face before Jesus and beg him to make you clean. 1 John 1, 9 promises us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? 
to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. He looks on us with compassion and says to those who believe, I am willing, be clean. You have to receive the compassion of Christ. This is true if you're lost today. You need the compassion of Christ. But Christian, this is the answer for us as well. We come to Christ and we receive his cleansing, his mercy anew. It's not that you need to get saved all over again. It's like Peter when he was talking to Jesus and Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. He's like, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my head and my hands. And it's like, I need the whole bath. And Jesus tells him, no, those who are clean, you you don't need a bath. You just need your feet washed again. Christians, this mercy and compassion of Christ, this good news of the gospel is something we need on a regular basis as well. It's the solution for us. Receive the compassion of Christ. Come to him for cleansing. Then secondly, and we'll close with this, I want to speak to the believers in the room. Not only must we receive the compassion of Christ in the gospel by faith, but we are also called as Christ's ambassadors to reflect his compassion in the world. There's a lot of lepers out there today. We're the former lepers who have been cleansed. How do you look upon those who are still trapped in their sin? How do you relate to those who are defiled, those who have a desperate need of cleansing? Do you wrinkle your nose? Do you throw stones? Listen, Jesus desires to extend the good news of his compassion for sinners through you and through me. What are you going to do when that neighbor who has the rainbow flag on their porch experiences a crisis in their life? They become broken. They become desperate. Are you going to extend the compassion of Christ and the gospel to them? What are you going to do when that person who's bought into all the craziness that's going on in our world, the woke mafia, the political person, the abortion activist, fill in the blank, the person that's hardest for you to deal with, what are you going to do when that person realizes their need, when they become desperate and broken, and they come across your path? Will you extend to them the mercy and the compassion of Christ? That's what he calls us to do. We can't say to them, I am willing, be clean. But you know what we can say? We can say, he is willing. He can make you clean. Point them to Christ. And when the great high priest heals them, when the great high priest declares them clean, then they are to be welcomed into society. They are to be welcomed into the church. They are to be welcomed into our family. Because when Christ makes them clean, they are clean. And our compassion for them, the mercy that we show, should be shaped by a knowledge that this is what our Savior is like and this is what he's done for us. And that ought to shape our response to them. One of my favorite hymns, I asked Carrie if we could sing it today, written by a guy named Augustus Toplady, interesting name. In 1763, he wrote Rock of Ages, and there's a line in there that says, Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the cry of faith. That's a recognition of need. 
That's coming to Jesus. May we take hold of this hope for ourselves and then share this hope with a sin-sick world. Jesus, it is so humbling to consider that you would look on people who are defiled and sinful like us, that you would have compassion and pity, that you would touch us, that you would speak a word of grace to us, that you would heal us and restore us, and that you would do it at such great cost. Lord, for those who may not recognize their need, I pray that you would reveal their sin to them today. Dispel any lies they may be believing. Take away their excuses, their pride. I pray that they would get honest about their need today. Help them to see the futility of their own righteousness, their own efforts, their own excuses. Help them to see that the only answer is Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would come in desperation, that they would come in faith and receive what only you can do for them. Lord, for the Christians in the room who may deal with guilt, shame, and regret, those of us who struggle, we know that you won't reject us, but sometimes we fear that you really don't like us. You just put up with us quite a bit. I pray that they would rest in this truth, that the heart of our Savior is compassionate. May we come with fresh repentance to receive fresh grace today. And Lord, may this church be a vessel of mercy to carry this good news to those who are in need so that many more may be restored for your